0: Lee Goldberg is a number one New York Times best selling author who's had a remarkably durable career as an author and TV producer. His latest book is Movie Land, the fourth book in the Eve Ronan series. Eve is the youngest female homicide detective in the scandal plagued Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department in a series which is already optioned for TV. Welcome to the joys of binge reading. The show for anyone who ever got to the end of a great book and wanted to read the next installment we interview successful series authors and recommend the best in mystery suspense historical and romance series so you'll never be without a book you can't put down you'll find this episode's show notes a free ebook and lots more information at thejoysofbingereading.com and now here's our show Hi there, I'm your host Jenny Wheeler, and in Binge Reading today, Lee talks about his ambition to develop Eve into the legendary status of fictional detectives like Harry Bosch in Michael Connelly's The Lincoln Lawyer series, and John Rebus in Sir Ian Rankin's Rebus detective series. We've got our usual free book giveaways this week, August Mystery and Suspense, links for the draw, and all the other fascinating topics we get into on this episode on on the website thejoysofbingereading.com. If you'd like to ensure you don't miss out on any episode, subscribe to our weekly newsletter for all the relevant links. And don't forget, you can get exclusive bonus content, including hearing Lee answering the getting to know you five quick fire questions by supporting us on Binge Reading on Patreon. For as little as a cup of coffee a month, You get five quick fire questions, a behind-the-scenes newsletter featuring upcoming books and authors, and a preview of the new monthly Encore series featuring authors who've already been on the show talking about their latest book. Chuck Greaves talking about the new Jack McTaggart, The Chimera Club, is the Encore author for August. Check it out on... Patreon.com forward slash the joys of binge reading. But now here's our show. Welcome to Binge Reading, Lee. It's great to have you with us.
1: It's great to be here. I wish I was there in person. I love New Zealand. Have you been here? I have. I actually went to research a novel that I didn't end up writing. It's a, it's a long story, but I, I hope to write it someday.
0: But I had a wonderful time. That sounds fun, fun. yeah. Look, you've had a truly remarkable career with an astonishing backlist in fiction, nonfiction, writing and directing for TV and publishing. And we'll get to talk a little bit about your publishing work a bit later on. But at the beginning, we're focusing on this latest book, just published, Movie Land, which is the fourth installment in the Eve Ronan detective series. Now, Eve and her soon-to-be-retired partner, Duncan, make a memorable and contrasting couple because he's a wily old fox who's on the verge of retirement and she's very much the upstart new youngest homicide detective in the LA County Sheriff's Department. So I just wondered, because you've got a lot of books there, but I couldn't see that there was one series yet apart from this one, which featured a female protagonist. And I wondered if this was your first go at writing a female protagonist.
1: Actually, no, it's not. I worked on a TV series, I don't know if you have it in New Zealand, it's called Monk. It's about a detective with obsessive compulsive disorder. And he has a nurse who helps him deal with the real world so he can solve these homicides. And I ended up writing 15 books about Monk, first person from the point of view of his female nurse slash assistant. So I have written quite a few books from the point of view of a woman. And in fact, my wife, who's French, I'm now going to brutalize her accent, says things like, I don't understand it. In your books, you seem to understand women, but in real life, you have no clue. <laughs> so <laughs> she, she, she loved how I wrote about women in my books, but wishes I was more like that in real life. So I, 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 when I ended up writing the Eve Ronan novels. It was because I missed writing from a woman's point of view. I really enjoyed those 15 novels. I wrote from Natalie's point of view. So that was a conscious decision on my part. Plus I figured there's far too many middle-aged male homicide detectives in fiction right now.
0: Yes, that's right. I wondered if you were in any way influenced by what's been going on in Hollywood over the last few years and the higher awareness that there is now of the sorts of issues women face in the work environment.
1: No, I was not influenced by that. What I was mostly influenced by is I was raised by a single mother I've got two sisters. I'm married to a very strong woman. I have a 27 year old daughter. So I'm keenly aware, as I hope most men are or should be, of the issues facing women today. And it bothers me how women are portrayed in fiction. And there aren't enough women portrayed in fiction. If I had any concern at all, is that I would get slammed for writing a book from a woman's point of view. But it's called fiction for a reason. <laughs> and there are plenty of women writing about men. I didn't think there'd be anything wrong with me writing about a young woman. I certainly know a lot of young women and have a lot of young women in my life. And I've seen the struggles my mom had to go through as a single mother raising four kids. I've seen the struggles my own daughter has had to go through. So that more than anything influenced my writing of Eve Ronit.
0: Yeah. Now Eve has a double burden really, being a straight cop in essentially what is still a dirty system. Although there's been changes from the beginning of the series in regard to that, as well as being female. And I wondered particularly about the the, the dirty cop thing. I think there has been a bit of a history, maybe a long time ago now, but a bit of a history of that kind of problem in LA. Is that right?
1: Well, Eve Ronan is not a Los Angeles police officer. She's a Los Angeles County Sheriff's deputy. And right now, the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department is beset by scandal and corruption. It's very much an active, real thing that's happening now. There's a whole scandal going on about this: these gangs of sheriff's deputies who are tattooed, who are committing heinous crimes and covering up for one another, and beatings in the jails of the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department overseas. And so I, I was playing very much on what's actually happening in the headlines here in Los Angeles.
0: Wow, that's interesting. I, I know that for people outside of the states, The jurisdictional aspect of the police work, you know, the fact that even when they go to certain different parts of the city, they have to clear it with different police departments, that's fairly complicated and not quite how we see things here in New Zealand. So that side of it's quite political, isn't it? Well,
1: it's also very complicated for people here to understand. I don't think there are a lot of people in Los Angeles who understand the boundaries between the LAPD, and Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department, and how the jurisdictions often overlap and clash. And for me, that conflict and that misunderstanding gave me a lot to write about. It gave me something fresh, and it was confusing even to me. And as it happens, the Eve Ronan novels take place in what is essentially an island in the middle of Los Angeles that is its own jurisdiction that's patrolled by Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department, but surrounded by the LAPD, the Ventura County Sheriff's Department, the State Forestry Department, I mean, all kinds of other law enforcement jurisdictions. And I think that confusion creates conflict, creates drama, and it gives me a lot to write about. But no, it's, yeah. it's not just that you guys in New Zealand don't understand how it works. It's pretty complicated here as well. There's yeah. portions of Los Angeles County that are unincorporated or have city governments that can't afford their own police departments And in those areas, the Los Angeles County Sheriff is the law. So you have the LAPD patrolling Los Angeles proper, but you have Los Angeles County Sheriff's deputies patrolling West Hollywood, Calabasas, Agura, the Santa Monica Mountains, and a number of other places. Malibu. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Look, in movie land, the theme of the story is set against the background of the Malibu Creek State Park, where... Apparently at the beginning, random shootings are happening with people who are just going out for walks in the park. And I gather that even that story also has got some basis in fact. Can you give us the background for that particular story?
1: Yes, Malibu Creek State Park is not like Central Park in New York or something like that. It's a vast wilderness area that was at one time a movie studio backlot. They shot Westerns and science fiction and adventures. I mean, Planet of the Apes, Logan's Run, How Green Is My Valley, MASH, Lost in Space. I mean, a million Tarzan, Batman. I mean, a million movies were shot in Malibu Creek State Park. But it's also a vast wilderness area with mountains and forests and streams. And back in the 70s, the studio donated the land to the state. And movies were still shot there, but it's also this huge park. And over the last few years, there have been a number of shootings in and around Malibu Creek State Park that the Sheriff's Department have written off as unrelated. Some were actually people shooting at gophers or what have you, or cars backfiring as they drive through the canyons or people setting off fireworks and any number of things. They claimed there was no through line to these reports of shootings. But then a young man with his two kids was camping in Malibu Creek State Park and someone shot into his tent and killed him in front of his kids. And that launched a whole new investigation. And eventually the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department admitted, yes, all the shootings were connected. And they eventually arrested a homeless man who was living in the park. And that has not gone to trial yet. But even that arrest is open to controversy and second guessing. And there's still a lot of claims of a cover-up and an incomplete investigation. The investigating detectives were fired and are suing the sheriff's department. It's quite a scandal here. And I just thought it was a great basis for an Eve Ronin novel. I fictionalized it quite a bit and came up with my own solution to the crime, which has no bearing on reality. But... It's a fun story nonetheless.
0: It certainly sounds as if the sheriff's department has given you a very rich territory to to mine. I mean, you mentioned the tattoos and in Bone Canyon, book two in the series, that very much deals with these sheriffs who've all got tattoos and almost like a secret society where they have loyalty to one another before anything else.
1: Yes, that's all true. And at the time I wrote it, though, the articles were only just beginning to come out in the media. And some people accused me of making it up, that it was absurd. And now it's a a major story here in Los Angeles. But the other thing that's rich about Malibu Creek State Park is even if you've never been there, if you were to go there right now, you would have an incredible sense of deja vu because you have seen the park in Dr. Doolittle and MASH and so many movies that it's almost part of our shared cultural psyche worldwide. It has been so many fictional places. And that's part of the allure of Los Angeles. It's a real place, but it's also an imaginary one. I mean, just about every street has been depicted as somewhere else. It's uh, So Hollywood is very much alive here in what we say and do and how we live. And that clash between fiction and reality, for me, is a, is a fun thing to explore in these books. And to have a crime take place in a location where so many fictional people have been killed, where so many fictional murders have been solved and committed, was also quite appealing to me. Yeah, in that's fact, terrific. I've shot there I've shot there myself. I was the executive producer of a TV series called Diagnosis Murder with Dick Van Dyke as a, a cop who solves crimes. And we shot in Malibu Creek State Park all the time.
0: Yes, and actually I was going to move on to talking a bit about your TV background because in the series, Eve has got this situation going on where she's being wooed to agree to have a TV series made about her as a rising and she in the first book she goes viral with some of the solving that she does and she's got this estranged father who's a washed up director who's behind the scenes orchestrating things because he wants to piggyback on her fame and she's resisting it because she thinks it's going to destroy her credibility. But that whole storyline that goes through the series... I thought to myself as I was reading the books that your own background in TV would have given you a great position to be able to understand all of the different elements that come into that.
1: Yes. I mean, that's what I'm playing on. In fact, there's a scene where Eve goes to visit the producer of the show to have a meeting with the writers. And that studio and that office are my office and my studio when I was doing Diagnosis Murder. It's I think it's very interesting for a character to have to live up not only to her own expectations and the expectations of her colleagues and also the expectations of the media, but also the expectations of a fictionalized, idealized version of herself and how Hollywood kind of changes and corrupts and twists and idealizes characters and the conflicts that creates. I just thought it would be a rich area to explore and something that would set my books apart from all the other police procedurals out there.
0: It certainly sounds to me like there's an Eve Ronan T V series in the in the making as you go along.
1: Well that's the other irony. The T V rights to the Eve Ronan novels have been optioned. So there is the possibility a Ronin TV series could happen at the very same time I'm writing about a fictional Ronin TV series in my books.
0: Yeah, That's amazing. From the sound of it, I don't think that so far Eve has had this meeting with the writers. So that says to me that obviously there's a book five already on the way. And the thing I'm kind of also interested in is whether Duncan is going to continue or whether he finally is going to get retired because at the beginning, he was going to be retired very soon and then they extended his time and extended his time. And he's become such a key part of the series that I wonder if he's ever going to get his retirement.
1: Well, actually the first four books all take place in a period of about four months. So he hasn't exceeded his retirement. The clock's just been ticking down. And in book number four, uh, Movieland, We do meet with the writers of the Ronan TV series and also we resolve the issue of Duncan's retirement. I don't want to give that away. So I'll let you read the book to find out.
0: It is a while since I read that. So perhaps it's kind of skated over me, but yeah. Okay. Look, you started out in journalism. So just skating back a little bit in this remarkable career of yours, it's obviously given you a very good feel for journalistic experience. I noticed in some of the books that you've got young reporters starting out who are aiming to climb up to the heights of being on the LA Times and that kind of thing. And I sense that might have been your own experience at the beginning. Tell us a bit about how you got transitioning from that journalistic experience into fiction.
1: Well, both of my parents are reporters. My father was a reporter on television. He was on the news every night. And my mom was a print reporter for a newspaper. And I put myself through college as a reporter for the United Press... Syndicate and the LA Times and a number of other publications. So that was going to be my path. But I also loved television and I loved writing books. And when I was in college working for my college newspaper, my journalism advisor was a novelist. And I would read his novels and give him my thoughts on them, even though I had no experience in publishing. And one day, his publisher came to him and asked him if he'd write a men's action-adventure novel. I don't know if you have the equivalent in New Zealand, but there's sort of the male equivalent of of what we have here called Harlequin romances. They're action-packed, exploitative kind of men's novels, had covers with guys with giant guns and women with gigantic breasts and explosions and car chases and stuff on the covers. And they had titles like the executioner, the destroyer, the immolator, the defecator, the drooler, (laughs) E-R-O-R at the end. And my journalism advisor said he wasn't dumb enough, desperate enough, or broke enough to write one of these things, but he knew somebody who was, and he recommended me. So while I was a sophomore in college, I wrote a book called 357 Vigilante by Ian Ludlow. So it'd be on the shelf next to Robert Ludlum, who at the time was the biggest selling novelist in America, and Ian Fleming for, to me, Ian for Ian Fleming. So people would go, Ian Ludlow, you know, I think I read something by him. It wasn't bad. And this way I'd also be on the shelf next to Robert Ludlum, and I had boobs and explosions on my covers, and he had, you know, a... Uh, Brandenburg Gates and Hammers and Sickles, and you know, symbolism of, of the Cold War on, on his book. So I figured I'd get his audience just from the covers alone. And my books came out the same week this guy Bernard Goetz blew away some muggers on a New York subway train. And vigilantes were hot. My book became a national bestseller. New World Pictures bought the movie rights and hired me to write the screenplay. And I was in college at the time. So my, both my publishing and my screenwriting career were born while I was still in, in college, and I've been on that path ever since, writing books and TV shows and movies at the same time. I've been juggling the two careers. And journalism has just always been a part of my life because of my parents and because that's how I put myself through school.
0: It's not as coincidence then that you've started an organisation called the International Association for Media Tie in Authors. And I saw that on your bio online and I thought it was quite fascinating. You obviously have been extremely media savvy right from the beginning with the Ian Ludlow, you know, pen name. Can you tell us a bit about that organization and why you felt there was a need for it?
1: Yeah, Media tie-in writers are people who write novels based on pre-existing intellectual property. So those are novelizations of movies or new books based on TV shows or books based on games or books based on toys. They're, they're books that the authors did not create the central character or franchise for. So Star Trek novels, and I don't know all these uh, games, but there there are a lot of books based on computer games and what have you, World of Warcraft, that kind of thing. And the books are traditionally huge bestsellers worldwide, but are kind of scoffed at by most literary organizations. And there's some really great writing being done in the Star Wars novels and Star Trek novels and Murder, She Wrote novels. So Me and Max Allen Collins, who wrote Road to Perdition and has done a bunch of what's called tie-in novels, we created this organization, I think, well over a decade ago for people who toil in this world of of media tie-ins. And it's been a huge success. We've got hundreds and hundreds of members and have managed to get a lot of attention for people who write media tie-in novels. I wrote a bunch of them myself. As I mentioned earlier in the interview, I wrote for the television series Monk. But I didn't create the series. Andy Breckman did. And when a publisher came to him and said, we'd like to do books based on the TV show, I wrote the books. And those were called tie-in novels because I did not create the central character, but the novels were original. And I also wrote books based on the TV series Diagnosis Murder. I didn't create Diagnosis Murder. I wrote and produced the show, but I didn't create it. And I ended up writing eight or nine novels based on that series as well. So I had experience in the media tie-in world and was aware of the kind of disregard that media tie-in writers were held in, even though our books are among the biggest selling in the world. So that's why we started the organization.
0: Great. Yeah. And you look in the other direction too, in the sense that you're looking back with your publishing company, you're finding forgotten crime classics and republishing them. Tell us a bit about that side of your work
1: yeah I years ago before well, I should say before, right about the time that Amazon started uh, selling ebooks for the Kindle, I decided to take my out-of print backlist and release them as ebooks. I had regained the rights to the books and I thought, you know what do I have to lose by making them available as ebooks or just rotting in my garage? And I had tremendous success doing it. So a lot of other authors came to me for advice. How can I get my out-of print books into ebooks? and how do I get covers and how do I get attention? and can I buy you a drink? Tell me how it's done? And so many people are coming to me asking me for that advice. But also there was an author I loved, a guy named Ralph Dennis, who passed away in 1988, drunk and forgotten and living in a bar actually on a cot. And I loved his books. And I thought if I could do this for my books, maybe I could take his books and republish them. And I went to a friend of mine who's an author and a lawyer for his advice on how to acquire the rights to these books and republish them. And, and my friend who's a lawyer was also having success republishing his out-of-print backlist and getting nagged by other authors. And when I told him what I had in mind, he went, this is a great idea. We can make a lot of money doing this. I said, what do you mean make a lot of money? And what do you mean we? He said, this is a business plan. We could, all these friends of ours were are asking for advice on how to take their out-of-print books and put them back into print. We could do it for them and take a cut. I said, well, that's a pretty brash idea. He said, and there's the name of our company. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> we ended up launching brash books, I think about nine years ago. And I think we've published something like 300 titles to date. We started as a reprint house, publishing acclaimed, award-winning crime novels that had fallen out of print. And we expanded into publishing brand new books as well that had never been published before. And it's just been going great. I feel like I'm giving back to the to the genre that started me out, but also it's been such a thrill to publish brand new authors. The only downside is we just get inundated with submissions. It's overwhelming how many we get, and the vast majority of them are unreadable slop. So it does take a lot of time. Yeah. But it's been a joy for me overall.
0: We'll be back with Lee Goldberg in a few ticks when he'll tell us what advice he gives to young writers and shares with us some of his current favorite books. Are you enjoying binge reading but not in a position to commit to a regular Patreon subscription? Then how about buying me a cup of coffee at buymeacupofcoffee.com forward slash Jenny Wheel Big Cross X like kiss kiss Jenny Wheel W-H-E-E-L capital X. It's a way to make a one-off contribution if you particularly enjoy the episode you've just listened to and every little helps in defraying the costs of putting on the show. My time is all contributed for nothing, but I have to pay others to help with technical aspects, including hosting, sound editing and transcription. A cup of coffee now and then will stop me feeling lonely. And here we are, back with Lee Goldberg. So obviously crime has been something that you're passionate about. How did you get at the very beginning to be so you know, fascinated by crime stories?
1: Well, I think crime stories have a natural momentum. There's something driving them forward. The stakes are very clear. The conflicts are very clear. And there's a satisfying puzzle. I like that narrative momentum. I, I don't know that I could write a romance. I just think there, that wouldn't have something pushing the story forward. The stakes wouldn't mean as much to me. It's just something that works on so many different levels. It works as entertainment, it works as a character study, it works as a morality play, it works as a magic trick, and it works as a puzzle. It's very satisfying. It's also very hard to write, but i, I it's what I enjoy reading and it's what I enjoy writing.
0: Tell us about your process. I mean, with books like these, the plots are incredibly intricate. Do you do a lot of outlining before you begin, or do you let the story run along?
1: Oh, I I absolutely outline. And I believe I can tell 99% of the time when I'm reading a book by somebody who does not outline. I can see them treading narrative water. I can see where they're making it up as they go along. I can see where they're rushing to explain things that don't make sense. I I believe to have a mystery that works, to have a crime story that works, you have to know what the clues are, know where you're going, and play truthfully with the audience. They, They have to have the ability to solve the crime without having a forensic lab in their living room. <laughs> they the station of the opportunity to see the same clues the detective does. So I outline everything. I don't go into excruciating detail. I allow myself the freedom to make up new things and have new discoveries. But it's the equivalent of you either get in your car and drive, or you get in your car and you know you're driving from LA to New York and I'm going to take the 10 freeway all the way. That doesn't mean you won't make some side trips, but at least you know where you're going and how you're going to get there.
0: Yeah, yeah. Turning away from the specific books to your wider career, you obviously see a tremendous amount of work from beginner writers. What do you think is the biggest um, pitfall or, or problem for beginner writers?
1: Exposition. Way too much backstory and detail. They make speeches in their prose and they have the characters tell us who they are instead of showing it to us through action and dialogue. Move the story forward. If the scene doesn't have conflict, if it doesn't reveal character, then it goes. I just can't stand exposition. And it's, and also, I, the cliché of character looking in a reflective surface to see his or her own reflection so the author can describe them to us is just painful. <laughs> <laughs> I also can't stand cliché dialogue. You know, a needle in a haystack, up shit creek without a paddle, what, all that kind of stuff. If you've written, a, if you're writing a phrase and you've heard it before, cut it. I believe in starting scenes often in the middle. We don't always need to know exactly how they got where they're going. Let us get right into the middle of things. We can... Pick up how they got there and the boring stuff. Cut the boring <laughs> stuff. Get the stuff that makes you interested as a reader. Don't tell readers what to think. Let them come up with their own ideas of who the characters are and what their flaws are. Don't direct us. Don't I think there's beginning authors feel they need to make everything clear and not have any ambiguity. Leave no room in the middle for the reader to fill in some of the blanks for him or herself. But the biggest thing is having a really weak opening that's full of exposition and all explanation and no drama, you have to hook readers right away from the first two paragraphs. You have to grab them. You have to give them a compelling plot or character reason to keep on reading. If you don't have that within the first few pages, your book's going to fail. And I, I can't tell you how many submissions we get where the first 20 pages are a slog. The first 20 pages have to rock it, no matter what kind of story you're telling.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Even if it's a romance. You've got to start a book hot. You've got to get us right in. you got to tell us what the conflict is. you got to tell us why the readers should care, why they should invest themselves in the story. What is it about this story that's going to make them want to keep on reading until two in the morning? You know, that's, yeah. that's the key. Yep.
0: Yeah. Look, this is The Joys of Binge Reading, and we're starting to come to the end of our time together. So I'd like to hear from you what you like to read. And it is a popular fiction podcast, but I'm sure that a lot of the reading that you do is likely to be popular fiction. Tell us who you'd like to recommend.
1: Oh, I, I, I read across all genres. In fact, there's an Australian author I love, a guy named Gary Disher who writes the Wyatt novels. They're fantastic.
0: We've, like we've had Mc... him on the show, actually, Lee, yeah. He's
1: wonderful. He I, he deserves to be known all over the world. And I don't know why he's not. I mean, Jane Harper has broken through, and I, I like her books as well, but I think Gary Fisher is so versatile. He writes so many different kinds of crime novels and literary novels. He's just a remarkable author. But I like Larry McMurtry. I like Jonathan Evison. I like Michael Connolly. I mean, I just, I devour books, Westerns. And I just read Anthony Dewar's Cloud Cuckoo Land, which takes place across three very different time periods. I'm about to start reading Chris Pavone's Two Nights in Lisbon. I read a a ton of stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah. Look, looking back down the tunnel of time, if there was one thing about your career, that's writing, publishing, directing, that you'd change, what would it be?
1: (laughs) I would never have done Baywatch. Baywatch. Yes, I, I worked on the first season of Baywatch. That was living hell. And I'm, I'm, I have two big regrets. Baywatch and The New Adventures of Flipper, which uh, was actually shot in Australia, in Brisbane.
0: And why would you not want to work on those again?
1: Well, it's no fun writing for a freaking dolphin, for one thing, or <laughs> David Hasselhoff.
0: Look, what's ne- the next thing for as author? Give us an idea of what you've got on your desk over the next 12 months.
1: Well, I've got two
0: novels coming
1: out in 2023, One is called, for the moment, it's called Calico, and it takes place in present day and 1883, and they're connected by the same dead body. It's a modern-day police procedural and a period Western. It shifts back and forth in time. And I have a novel coming out in June of 2023 called Malibu Burning, and it's about a daring heist pulled off in the midst of a catastrophic wildfire in the Santa Monica Mountains.
0: So those are both standalones?
1: Yes, they're both standalones.
0: And is that the first time you've written anything in a historical context?
1: That's a good question. No, no. I wrote a book called Mr. Monk in Trouble that was split between present day and Monk's ancestors in the California gold rush. Uh But I've always wanted to write a Western and Calico gave me the opportunity to write a Western, but to contrast it with a modern day police procedural. And I think the conflicts and the differences between those two time periods made both stories more interesting. I don't have a pub date to announce yet for that, but it'll be in 2023.
0: And so when's the next Eve Ronan going to be coming out?
1: I don't know. My contract is up, literally. I, it's just ended. And I think whether or not there's a fifth Eve Ronan depends on how well MovieLand does. My guess is that there will be, but I never know until I see those sales figures or until my publisher does.
0: And do you have an idea about where the whole series is likely to go?
1: Oh, yes. I know exactly where the series is going to go. I mean, there's a reason why I started this series with a a woman who's 25 years old, who doesn't know what she's doing. She's in a job she doesn't deserve and hasn't earned, but has the expertise for, but doesn't have the skills yet to really master. I want to see her grow as a character. I want to see her find herself and develop the confidence she needs to have a long and steady career. So she's not Harry Bosch yet. She's not John Rebus yet. She's, she's got a ways to go. And I I could see this series going for 20 novels.
0: Fantastic. That's, that's a wonderful degree of foresight and confidence.
1: Well, it all depends on the readers. Obviously, the books will only go on as long as they continue to make money for the publisher and you know, reach certain sales figures. And so far, I've been very fortunate they have, but you just never know, especially when your contract is up. You know, I sign multi-book contracts and when those multi-book contracts expire, it's always a period of, of a little insecurity because so you don't know what's going to come next. But I suspect the next contract will include a fifth Eve Ronan novel.
0: Yeah, yeah. Look, do you enjoy interacting with your readers and where can they find you online?
1: I'm everywhere online and I do enjoy interacting with my readers except when they criticize me. <laughs> <laughs> you can find me at LeeGoldberg.com you can find me at LeeGoldberg on Instagram LeeGoldberg on Twitter and LeeGoldberg on Facebook I'm not hiding and uh, you'll see readers are feel very free to let me know what they think good and bad
0: oh that's great and you reply to them do you?
1: I do and I manage to keep profanity to a minimum <laughs>
0: Look, that's great. Look, thanks so much. You're just such a professional. It's magnificent to hear how you've got done it all. Thanks so much, Lee.
1: It's been my pleasure.
0: Next week on Binge Reading, a change of pace from mystery to romance. USA Today bestselling author Pamela Ayres talking about her award-winning contemporary and historical romance, particularly focusing on her latest book, Book 11 in the Tavanese series, Love Thief, a contemporary romance series, says one reviewer, Love Thief is the perfect blend of mystery, passion and life-changing romance. That's Pamela next week. She's fascinating to talk to. That's it for now. Thanks for listening and happy reading.